It's Dot Mill Docs. We hope you had a restful Veterans Day. Thanks for tuning in. This is the 85th episode of the Military Health System's official podcast. I'm Russell Carlson, and today is Thursday, November 12th, 2009. Today we're going to be talking about telemedicine and mobile health with Colonel Ron Poripadich. He's the Deputy Director of the Telemedicine and Advanced Technology Research Center, and that's part of the U.S. Army Medical Research and Materiel Command. This is all a part of Military Medical Technologies Month. That's our monthly theme here in November. Check out health.mil slash medtech. That's health.mil slash M-E-D-T-E-C-H. It's a page we set up to help explain and promote some of the exciting technologies being used to keep service members, veterans, and their families safe and healthy. Colonel Porpatish is here to discuss mobile health and telemedicine and how DOD efforts in the field are advancing care for patients. Colonel Porpatish, welcome to Dot Mill Docs. Thank um, you very much. That's uh, great to be here with you. Sure, it's our pleasure. Well, uh, I know that you're here to talk about uh, telemedicine and mobile health. Um, I suspect a lot of our listeners, as I, don't really know that much about that topic. So, so what are we talking about, really? Well, telemedicine is the use of communications and information technologies for the delivery of clinical care. And I think it's important for folks to understand the difference between telemedicine and telehealth and e-health, if you will. Mm -hmm. Telemedicine is primarily that consultation between healthcare providers, whereas telehealth is a much more uh, encompassing term, which includes not only telemedicine, but distance learning and education, the electronic medical record, other research issues, they all fall under the umbrella of telehealth. And here in the United States, we often use telehealth and e-health, or electronic health, synonymously. Mobile health, or m-health, is also a part, if you, if you would, of, of telehealth or e-health. And mobile health, or m-health, is um, the use of... Uh, mobile technology, cell phones, if you will, for the delivery of health care. So uh, would mobile health then be more um, provider to patient? Uh, mobile health, is, it could be provider to patient, yes. It could also be among the, uh, uh, the patient, a social network, for example, of patient to family support member. Um, but it's primarily, as we use it in the military right now, it's primarily uh, provider to patient, correct? Okay, and telemedicine is more provider to provider. That that's correct, but it's uh, it's not only provider to provider, provider to patient. For example, uh, we have a large in the U.S. Army uh, telepsychiatry program where you have the provider uh, and the patient interacting via video teleconferencing. Um, what we're doing in Iraq right now in Afghanistan with teleconsultation is primarily provider to provider using email with high-resolution digital images attached for second opinion consults, for example, for dermatology or infectious diseases. And I, I've heard that uh, cell phones are being used to, to treat traumatic brain injuries, TBIs? Well, we have a cell phone project as an initiative in the U.S. Army that started just over a year ago. And it's a um, uh, project that was funded with TBI money. Uh, there was a large bolus of money used for treatment of TBI. We submitted a proposal. And since that proposal was submitted, we've developed through a commercial vendor, All One, and another vendor, DiverseNet, 
a secure platform that's HIPAA compliant that allows platoon sergeants and case managers who are caring for reservists and National Guardsmen to um, interact with one another using secure messaging, a form of text messaging, but it's HIPAA compliant secure messaging between providers and patients. And we're doing this at five sites in the eastern half of the United States. And starting in January, we're going to begin a, um, a prospective randomized clinical study at those same five sites. So we hope to uh, reach out to traumatic brain injury patients, but also any other patient at those five community-based warrior transition units. And you're really you're you're focusing on getting out to guard and reserve because they tend to be harder to reach, a little more far-flung sometimes. That's correct. The uh, the guard and reserves in these particular regions, each of these community-based warrior transition units cover seven, eight states, and so the the, the geographic separation between those providers and the patients are significant and. Uh, what we're trying to do is augment what they're already doing, which is daily telephone calls between platoon sergeant and patient or weekly telephone calls between case manager and patient and use text messaging on a uh, three, four, five times a week basis to augment additional outreach to those service members. All right. L- let's talk a little bit about uh, mobile health or mHealth. I understand there are some open source software initiatives going on with that. There is. So we're very interested in a long-term strategy for mobile health for the Army as well as the DOD, and we're, we've been working with, uh, when Dr. Cassells was the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, a, a variety of international outreach projects that cover stability operations. And in, in a variety of international settings, there's the, the need to uh, come up with low-cost, long-term solutions. We see open source software as one mechanism that uh, may address the international health needs with a low-cost solution. There's an organization called the Open Wireless Consortium that has a whole range of open source software. The the trick is getting these different applications and stitching them together for an end-to-end solution that will allow us, for example, to do biosurveillance from a remote site in a part of the world that could be real-time data uploaded to a central server then downloaded for various uh, health providers to review. Um, this open source initiative is uh, is still in its early stages. I think it's important for people to know, and we're, um, we've yet to achieve success in, uh, in uh, coming up with a final product, but we are uh, working on a product uh, right now and um, hoping to... Uh, come up with some solutions in the near term. And you talked about the International Health Initiative with with this. Is that trying to help um, other countries build a more robust healthcare infrastructure? Is that what that's about? Yeah, I think the the key is, uh, you know, we do a lot of wonderful medical readiness training exercises, and we have the comfort and mercy going out and providing uh, a lot of care to different parts of the world. To complement that, we're looking to um, have leave-behind technology that we could leave with a host nation that could, for example, provide maternal fetal care. We're trying to come up with a project in Afghanistan, for example, working through the Afghan government via a, a military-to-military uh, affiliation, if at all possible, a maternal fetal health program that would uh, provide educational 
information to mothers. There's over 15 million cell phones in Afghanistan, for example, and what's because of the uh, high literacy rate, which is almost 75%, instead of doing secure messaging or text messaging, we would do something called interactive voice response, where we would download onto their cell phones uh, 15, 30-second educational clips that would be audio clips. And uh, from the time the woman gets pregnant up to and after the child is born to provide ongoing educational advice for uh, uh, the mother for better care of her baby. So the concept would be to leave behind some software that would be bundled with the, uh, the phone carrier for that particular country and enable uh, those uh, nations to have the capability to uh, sustain the project themselves with low-cost software solutions. And that's how we can help to earn their trust. Well, I think it... it, it, it yeah, it would earn their trust and win hearts and minds and also provide a, a needed public health kind of support, which right now is very spotty. As you know, the, in Afghanistan, the, uh, the geography is, is very difficult to provide a lot of outreach to patients. And I think the cellular technology, since most phones, uh, most people have uh, phones uh, in, in the developing world now, and it's growing daily, uh, we see this as a, uh, an opportunity that we should seriously pursue. We're going to take a quick break for the Docs Health Beat news and information from the military health system. When we come back, we'll talk more with Colonel Parpatich about some of the ways that telemedicine is affecting in-theater consultations. Docs Health Beat. Have you heard about the Eagle Cane Project? It provides wounded veterans with physical and psychological support by giving veterans and others an opportunity to hand carve an eagle's head cane handle that is then attached to decorated canes and given to wounded warriors. More information about the Eagle Cane Project can be found at www.soldiersangels.org. Military Pathways provides free, anonymous mental health self-assessments for service members and their families. The primary goals of the program are to reduce stigma, raise awareness about mental health issues, and connect those in need with available resources. Visit www.militarymentalhealth.org for more information or to complete your own self-assessment. And finally, the Pentagon recently hosted the Pentagon Athletic Center's Ultimate Fitness Challenge. Participants competed in four different events, the timed shuttle run, a 35-pound sandbag carry relay, a 60-second box jump, and an obstacle course. The competition was tough, but the good times were plenty. All these stories and more are available at health.mil. Log on to read about these and the many other happenings in the military health system. This has been your .mil Docs Health Beat. I'm Elizabeth Lockwood. Welcome back to .mil Docs. We're here with Colonel Pora Padich, who is the Deputy Director of the Telemedicine and Advanced Technology Research Center, which is part of the U.S. Army Medical Research and Materiel Command. Before the break, Colonel Ford Pattis described the basics of telemedicine and told us about the impact cell phones are having on treatment for TBI, among other things. And um, now we're going to talk a little more about telemedicine and how it's affecting healthcare and theater. Uh, Colonel Ford Pattis, can you provide us with an update on in-theater teleconsultation? Sure, uh, Russell. What we're what we've been doing in theater since 2004 is providing a very low cost teleconsultation capability. It's um, non-secured in the sense that it's not HIPAA compliant, so we don't provide any patient identifying information. It's essentially email uh, between providers in theater. Uh, a generalist, usually it could be a corpsman, uh, 
uh, a medic, a nurse, sending a consult to a specialist here in the United States. It's email with uh, image attachments. Uh, the big uh, uh, applications we've seen so far, the specialties include uh, uh, dermatology, infectious disease, ophthalmology. We average about 120 to 150 consults a month. Since April, we've done over 6,200 consults, and um, it's been, a, I think, a successful program in that it costs us nothing. Uh, most providers have their own digital camera. We have uh, uh, centralized email groups of providers standing ready to answer the consults. What's exciting about it is, again, the fact that it costs almost nothing to implement. There's no training requirements. Everyone already knows how to do email and upload a digital image. Okay. We have a five-hour turnaround time, which has been sustained over the last five years in getting an answer back to a provider. Um, and even though it's been started as an Army program, it has evolved into a tri-service program where we have not only tri-service providers in theater using it, but we also have tri-service providers in the U.S. now added to these various email groups. And I, I think that's a great success story in the, in the fact that it, the cost is right, the, uh, the training requirements are, are, are minimal, and the, um, the usage has been sustained with very little uh, campaign to, to provide uh, education to providers on a, on a regular basis. It's just sort of word of mouth for the most part. This has been met with a lot of success, and we offered this to uh, the NATO uh, forces in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. I serve on a uh, NATO telemedicine panel, and when we offered this to NATO a couple of years ago, they were excited to uh, uh, use this system. Since uh, 2007, rather, we've established an official memorandum of agreement between the U.S. Army and NATO to allow uh, NATO forces to use the system. We've seen uh, some use. Uh, we've done, I'd say, only about 40 consults from NATO forces since uh, February. But we've also had uh, some nations, especially Canada, the Canadian Surgeon General, had hoped that uh, their forces could use the system not only in Afghanistan but other parts of the world. And that request is currently under review by our U.S. Army Surgeon General to determine uh, how much and whether we can extend it beyond the initial agreement, which was just Afghanistan. So I, uh, I think that's a great example of simple technology that has high provider satisfaction. We initially were getting provider feedback forms. Now uh, it's already been, met, been, been established for so long that we no longer seek uh, feedback responses from providers. It's sort of the way we do business now. Sure, and I... I I suspect that it helps a lot of uh, doctors and care providers kind of network and meet each other. It does. Uh, we, the, the key to the program is having a, a centralized program manager, uh, Mr. Chuck Lappin at the Great Plains Regional Medical Command uh, in San Antonio, Texas, is the program manager, and he uh, is involved 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 <laughs> days a year in making sure consults are answered and oftentimes marrying up different providers in theater who aren't aware of each other. For example, there may be times where a dermatologist is deployed as a general medical officer but is able to see a dermatology clinic and letting the uh, providers in theater know that there's a dermatologist you know, in the same uh, location that they're at can facilitate uh, follow-up care and even prevent evacuations. 
we have demonstrated uh, evacu- ear evacuations of patients that we've avoided by using the system, which is an, an important metric, as well as the fact that we've demonstrated that, you know, we've facilitated evacuations at a theater. Patient was perhaps going to remain in theater, but because of the discussions with the specialist, the patient was evacuated sooner because of the concerns of the specialist uh, needing uh, where the patient would need care in a major medical center. So it cuts both ways, but I think it's uh, clearly demonstrated clinical value. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like it. Now, um, then that, that that is like knowledge sharing between these providers in addition to giving quality care. Um, now, and on that subject, I know that there's some telesurgical mentoring that had happened. Um, can you talk about that? Yes. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sloan Guy, when he was on a FAST team in Afghanistan in 2005, uh, he's a thoracic surgeon. He he felt that there were times when he was doing uh, surgeries where it would have been great, for example, uh, to have a, let's say, a neurosurgeon uh, overseeing his case just to provide any additional mentoring. This type of thing happens routinely in all hospitals, military or, civ- or civilian, where a difficult surgical case would often result in the surgeon calling in a colleague just to provide a second opinion, if you will. Uh, in theater, that's oftentimes difficult. So when Dr. Guy returned from Afghanistan, he and I and others, we collaborated to uh, put together a proposal and procure funding and establish, if you will, uh, through a consortium of MC4 and SRI, which is a company out on the West Coast, the capability to provide telesurgical mentoring over the Internet where Dr. Guy, the surgeon, would wear a a head-mounted camera that we would place a camera in the operating lights, and then those two cameras would shine down into the operative field and then transmit those images over the Internet back to Brook Army Medical Center where the surgical specialists were located to provide second opinion consultation. Uh, this is also sort of like uh, you know, John Madden Sunday football where you can have illustration where the surgeon in, at Brook Army could highlight particular areas of the operative field on a computer screen that's visible in the operating room in, in, uh, in theater and allow, uh, in addition to a real-time two-way voice, this telestration marked uh, ability on a screen shot showing where perhaps... Uh, decision should be made or where uh, additional sutures should be placed, that sort of thing. It's a, a very nice project. It was actually implemented in August of 2009 when Dr. Guy redeployed to Iraq, and he, um, unfortunately, by the time we worked through firewall issues, security issues, etc., uh, he was only able to do one case uh, of a, uh, a difficult uh, surgical procedure back yeah. to Brook Army Medical Center. Uh, we demonstrated that it worked well. Unfortunately, uh, soon after we demonstrated that case, he redeployed, and now we're in the process of trying to take that same uh, system, that same capability to the Afghanistan theater where the operational tempo is higher now than Iraq and reestablish the program and the capability in Afghanistan. And this is all happening despite miles and miles between the providers. Yes, yes. This is, uh, in this particular example, it was Mosul, uh, Iraq, talking to San Antonio, Texas. 
and you know these are eight-hour time zone differences, and um, you know it's difficult sometimes to get that surgical specialist in the U.S. Sure, the coordination. Engage, but it's because I think the um, the attitude among providers now is such that most providers have deployed to theater and they know what it's like to be over there. And when you get a calling from a uh, colleague asking for help, uh, I'm just constantly uh, amazed and proud of our uh, service member colleagues who continually try to reach out and support one another uh, at times when uh, it all comes down to improved patient care whenever possible. And it's been consistently demonstrated either with the low-cost, simple email teleconsultation or the surgical consultation. Uh, there's no doubt that this is uh, breaking through some barriers to deliver some great results. Um, and I think as, as younger providers come into the medical space and uh, as, they bec- as they're more familiar with technology, mm-hmm. we're seeing this uh, user acceptance take hold more and more readily, whether it's text messaging or email or um, any form of electronic communication. It's, uh, it's becoming part of our society now that in the early days when I was involved with telemedicine in 1993 when I deployed to Somalia, mm-hmm. it was a much tougher sell, I think, to a lot of providers. But over the last 17 years, it's amazing how much it's accepted and, and being used now in theater. It's the future. I believe so. I really do. Well, Colonel Porter-Pettis, thank you so much for talking with us today. This is really interesting. Thank you, and I appreciate uh, all that you do, and, and uh, I'm proud to uh, uh, be a part of the U.S. Army and to share these experiences with our listening colleagues. Great, and I hope that you'll come back on the show sometime and, and we'll hear more from you. Great. I would, I would like that. Thank you. That does it for us this week on .mil Docs. Once again, please visit health.mil slash medtech for more information about some of the exciting advances in medical technology within the DOD. You can read a story about telesurgery and the MC4 program there at health.mil slash medtech. You can join us again next week on Thursday when our guest will be Dr. Janet Kemp from the Veterans Affairs Suicide Program. Dr. Kemp will be talking about the program and the National Suicide Prevention Hotline for Veterans. Until then, see you on health.mil. This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Military Health System. .mil Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at dotmildocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes.